Okay. Um, this morning, I'm, I'm, I know you're like waiting for me to say, open up to the book of. We're not going to do that. Sorry. Um, every now and then it's going to happen during this series because this series is going to take a long time. Okay. And uh, this, this Sunday, I, I just sort of felt like God was saying, you need to hit on this. And this might be a good time to hit on this. So um, this morning, uh, we're going to go back to something that's called the Ten Commandments. You remember the Ten Commandments? Do you, do you remember this? Do you remember this scene? It's the old movie, Charles Heston, the old, the old good Ten Commandments movie, where he's getting the Ten Commandments from God, and it's, it's, I call it an angry scene. Okay, I don't know why, uh, but he comes across Moses and God sort of come across pretty ticked off when he when he gives these commands to Moses and the children of Israel, like. You know, when the flames coming in and marking off the, the tablets and then he's going back down and the deep voice, right? And, and I think that's why sometimes we look at the Ten Commandments as this big don't do list. Don't you, don't, don't. You know, it's like this, it's a demanding thing. And, uh, these commands, the things that God gives, therefore comes across as a bunch of rules. And God becomes nothing more than this party pooper, right? This, this, this mean God, this, this spoiler God, right? However, I think we got it all wrong. I think we need to look at the Ten Commandments in a different way. Okay? Let me give it to you like this. They're not negative. They're life-giving. They're life-giving. Instead of rules, look at them as, as boundaries. Okay? I, I believe we'd all agree that boundaries are necessary. Okay? You can ask anybody, say, is, is a boundary necessary? And you might at first disagree, but I, when I get done here, I think you're going to agree with me that boundaries are necessary. If we were to play the game of basketball and there were no boundaries, there's no out of bounds, how would you know who's going to get the ball and where and in, inbound in and all that kind of stuff? How do you keep the players from running up into the core, up into the stands and running through a few people to come around the other side and, and then score? Or how would you keep the people in the stands from going on the field? Football, I, you know, as I stand on the sidelines of college football games when I was chaplain, I would, I'm sitting there watching a lot of games, and there's times, like, with the team that I'm, I'm working with, somehow the other opposing team, they, they got the guy broke away, and he's running for a touchdown. And I'm standing down at the end, and like, if I only had pads on and I was allowed to step inbounds, I would try to hit him. Of course, I would be flattened, okay? But, but you know, the thought of there's a reason for out-of-bounds, to keep the players inside, to keep from chaos and anger and fights breaking out, right? So boundaries are necessary. They're, they're life-giving. Let me give you another one. I'm driving down the road, okay? There's a thing, and here's another boundary, the double yellows in the middle of the road. Let's say we're driving around, and it's a place that if I were to pass somebody, it could be a dangerous spot, and I don't have those double yellows, and I decide to pass, I could get in a car accident. But those double yellows remind me, there's a boundary here. This is not a safe place. So it helps me to make a wise choice, right? Or if you're driving through the mountains or somewhere like that where there's a drop-off, an edge, the guardrails are another boundary that keep me from straying off and taking my car over the side of a cliff. Are you agreeing with me that boundaries are good? Let me give you one more, okay? It's Shark Week coming up on Discovery Channel. My boys love Shark Week. We love watching, you know, this. And I was thinking about this. I'm not sure why we're so lured into watching this incredible animal, so dangerous, so vicious, so beautiful yet, and too, the way God created it. But regardless, these divers and these people who are studying sharks, can you imagine them studying them without that cage? It ain't going to happen. There's no way. Nobody's just going to get in an open water with a great white or any other large shark without some kind of 
cage, which is like a boundary. It protects them. It is life-giving. So let me say this. Boundaries are life-giving. They're not life-taking. And the Ten Commandments are a boundary that are life-giving, not life-taking. They're not meant to spoil our fun or make life miserable. They're life-giving. Some of us, some of us memorize the Ten Commandments when we're little. Maybe we've forgotten them by now, right? Uh, but some of us in our youth programs, some of you have seen uh, the Ten Commandments maybe in government buildings or different places up on the wall. And we already know that some, some places they're trying to rip them down. They're saying they're unconstitutional, bring them down. And they're trying to be removed, right, from being displayed. Well, here's the thing. These Ten Commandments are their life-giving. And they're powerful. And if they were removed by a court of law saying, we're going to take those down, let me just say that, so be it. Because as a Christian, we should be living out these commands. We should be displaying God's commands 24-7. So if I have to take down a display off the wall that tells you who I worship, so be it. Because you should be able to see that on me. They can't take that away, can they? We should always be displaying who God is and what he requires of us. So God's commands, they're like boundaries. And these boundaries, these commands, they are life-giving, not life-taking. We all on the same page now? Good. Now turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. In Exodus 20 is where we find the Ten Commandments. We'll find them repeated and sometimes pulled in and talked about in other places of Scripture. But here's where we read about it. Exodus chapter 20, second uh, second book in the Bible. Genesis, Exodus chapter 20. God starts off in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, and says, Then God instructed the people as follows, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in Egypt. Do not worship any other gods besides me. Here's the first command. I'm the only God. And I know you think there are other gods out there and there's other gods that maybe you worship back in Egypt and so forth. But there are no other gods. I'm the only God. Worship only me. That's what God starts off with this. That is freeing. That is not binding. Okay. If I'm trying to figure out which God should I worship, which, which, which one should I choose? And God comes along and goes, I'm the only one. So I don't have to worry. you don't have to worry about that one. Well, I'm supposed to do it. No, you don't have to worry about that one either. There's just one. That makes it easy. Do you ever go into a restaurant and you've got a menu with like 600 choices? If you go down to Upland, Indiana to, to visit Taylor University and you go into Ivanhoe's and you've got 100 shakes and 100 Sundays, where do you start? 43. Sounds good to me. Okay, I'll take number 40. God makes it really simple. There's only one. There's only one. He goes on to say this. Exodus uh, chapter 20, verses 4 to 5. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or any image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, and I will not tolerate your affection for other gods. So God says, not only am I the only God, don't make any other images or don't grab anything else and make an image of it and worship that image. A rabbit's foot, a lucky coin, whatever it may be. Take anything other than God and you make it a God, it cheapens who God is. If I were the Handel's Messiah, maybe at Christmas time you can think what the Handel's Messiah sounds like, right? So as you were listening to it, it's like, oh, this is powerful. But what if I pulled out a kazoo and, and so I tried to play the Handel's Messiah, okay? You're like, that is horrible, isn't it? Yeah? I just cheapened Handel's Messiah 
by trying to play with a kazoo. When I make other images of, of God, I cheapen who God is by creating all this other stuff. So we worship only God. We worship only God in his terms. And then we come to command number three, Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. This is the one we're going to focus on today. You must not misuse the name of the Lord our God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. I think the command is pretty clear. Do not misuse. Do not take in vain the name of the Lord our God. The consequences are some, somewhat clear too. It says, the Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. But we're not sure what that punishment looks like. I'm sure the religious leaders came up with all kinds of ideas. If you take the name of God in vain, well, we might stone you, put you, you know, grab these big stones and throw them at you until you're dead. Okay? Or we might do something else over here. Religious leaders always came up with great ideas on how to dish out God's stuff, right? God doesn't specifically say, but here's the thing, that's not our focus this morning. We're not going to focus on the punishment. This is what's going to happen if you. I had a young lady one time um, after a school assembly. I was talking to her. I said, hey, I heard you had a school assembly going on today. What did you guys do at your school assembly? It's like, well, we talked about um, drunk driving and accidents and all that kind of stuff. And she goes, it was the best one ever. And I said, really? Why was it the best one ever? She goes, well, we've had assemblies like this before. But a lot of times the assembly, all they focus on is if you drink and drive, you will die. You know, and then they have a car there and they have like severed dummies laying all over the place and they make it really gruesome. They make the outcome look so horrible. And that's all the focus is, is the negative outcome. Okay, we, we realize the outcome of drinking and driving, right? But instead of focusing so much on negative, they said, what can we focus on to keep us from getting to that point over there? And so when I look at this scripture, I'm sitting there going, you know, the command is pretty clear. The, the punishment is not as clear. So maybe I need to, I know the punishment is there, but maybe I need to focus on what the command is. And the command is not to take his name in vain, to not use it wrongly, right? Do not misuse it. And that command, when I look up in Hebrew, it means, it means to, to lift up, to bring to our lips, to verbally let it fly. It's like having a flippant attitude, really not thinking about what you're saying and not having a filter in your mouth and just, you know, the, the name of God just comes out just randomly. You know, you just throw it out there. No big deal, right? How many times have you used God's name with irreverence? Just sort of like, oh, you know, and you just let his, his name fly. Or how many times have you texted OMG, okay? You're using God's name. Why, why does it have to be God's name? Why, why, why not like, ah, oh, Muhammad, Right? Like, oh, I can't believe Buddha. Nobody ever takes other names. Do they not? They never use other religious names, only the name of God. You know why? Because it's the name of God is so powerful. It's so mighty. We know it. Right? So instead, people flippantly, irreverently use God's name in the name of Jesus Christ every day. Not realizing that it's a holy name. It's a name that's set apart. So here's what we need to know. God's name reveals his essence, his nature. When, when you hear the name of God, it's telling us about who God is. Names are synonymous with character and reputation. If I were to throw the name of an athlete out there, you're like, oh, I know that athlete. I know what they do, their stats and everything. If I talk to you about a musician or somebody else and that's popular in movies or whatever, it's like, oh, I know the movie they're in. I know that, you know, somebody at work. Somebody mentions a person at your workplace, already you got in your mind their reputation, don't you? Students, if somebody doesn't mention a name at your school and all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, you know what they're known for? 
Whenever you bring up a name, there is a characterization, there is an essence of their nature, of who that person is that goes with the name. So when we say the name of God, it isn't just a name to toss out. His character is revealed every time his name is used in Scripture. Now, if I were to do a, a, a sermon series on the name of God, it may go just as long as the book of John or longer, okay? So here's what I'm going to do. On, on the screen instead, what we're going to do is we're going to just going to throw up and... and um, no, no, we're going to throw up. That's not a bad. We're going, to, we're going to put up on the screen. It's like, awesome, let's just get sick. Here we go. Uh, multiple scriptures where the name of God is used. And I'm just going to point some of these out, okay? Genesis 1.1, the name of God is Elohim, okay? Creator of heavens and earth. Now, as you're reading in scripture, it just might say God or Lord, but in the Hebrew, his name is used differently, okay? Genesis chapter 14, 18, 19. The name of God is El Elyon, which is Most High God. Genesis twenty-two fourteen. the name of God is Yehovah Yireh. Now, it looks like Jehovah Jireh is what we would say, it, but it's Yehovah Yireh, which is God who provides. Which is, if you remember Abraham and Isaac, he's going to sacrifice his son. Knife's up, ready to bring the knife down on his son. And God's like, whoa, wait. You've been faithful, Abraham. Put the knife away. Take your son off the, off the altar. I have provided a lamb for you. A sacrifice. You have to sacrifice your son. He is a God who provides. He is, again, Jehovah Yireh. In Exodus 6.3, the name of God is El Shaddai, which is Almighty. His name is also the name of God is Jehovah, which is the proper name of the one true God, self-existent, eternal God. It's the Jewish national name of God. It's the Lord. Exodus 3.14, when he uh, reveals himself to Moses, he says, I am that I am. Well, I am is Hayah. And his name is pronounced, meaning again, the existing eternal one. Mark chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus prayed to his heavenly father and he called him Abba. Daddy, Father. So it's incredible when you look through all this and you see his name has meaning to everything. Every time his name is mentioned, as we read through, if we would go and maybe check the Hebrew or the Greek, we'd learn that maybe his name is different. It isn't just God or Lord. It's something maybe descriptive, a little bit more of his nature within that moment of that story. Obviously, there's no more names for God, but again, I just wanted to show you a few of them that are in the scripture. Because again, every time we use God's name, there's power behind a name. There's meaning. In biblical days and in Eastern times, when they would take scrolls and they would rewrite scripture into the scrolls, because remember, they didn't have copy machines. So we need to continue to transfer scripture into scripture, scroll to scroll, right? So as a Levite would write the scriptures, they transcribed the text with utmost integrity. The Levites' transcriptions, they would take these scrolls of God, and, and it's actually, uh, we can read about this also in the book of Kings, in, in the kings of Israel, they had to have their own scroll. So as a king, I would... I would transcript as well and write down the scroll, and I would have my own scroll, and then I would memorize it and learn it and read it. That's what the kings were supposed to do. Well, the Levites then were the ones then who really took over in, in copying, and they wanted to make sure there's no room for margin of error. So I want to share with you an example of how important it was when they got to God's name. As these Levites did the scrolls, and they started to produce another scroll, trans word for word, 
letter for letter. When they got to the name Yahweh, they, they couldn't even pronounce it. They would take the vowels out and just have the consonants only is what they would write. They wouldn't even write the whole name of God in the scripture. And here's what happened. Before they even got to that part, they would put the writing utensil down. They would step outside the room. They would remove their garment. They would ceremonially cleanse themselves, put on a new clean garment, come back in, pick up the utensil, write the four letters, not the vowels, but the four consonants down. They would put the writing utensil back down. They would go back out. They would remove their outer garment, ceremonially cleanse themselves, put on a new garment, come back in. They would destroy the one utensil they just wrote the name of God with and pick up a new utensil. Every time they came to the name of God in Scripture, that's what they did. Isn't that remarkable? Every time the name of God was written, they made sure this is special. This is important. This is to be honored in all reverence. And today, what do we do when the name of God is used? We toss it around like it's no big deal. We throw it around in media. We tweet it out. And uh, we use it in ways that we should not be using it. So let's ask ourselves a question. Do we take God's name seriously? Have we become too casual? You know, we were at camp a couple weeks ago, and then I had another uh, opportunity uh, to speak at a camp. And, and <clears throat> every camp is different. Every time I go somewhere to speak, it's different. And so I, I contacted the director, and I said, hey, just want to make sure, what's the dress code for camp? Because, you know, the camps I go to, shorts, T-shirt, tennis shoes, whatever, right? I'm going to be up in front speaking, so I just want to make sure, you know, I'm presentable. And he goes, oh, yeah, um, business, business-like um, Business-like? So like khakis and polo and dress shirt? Yeah. A camp? He goes, yeah. And maybe in the morning, if you want, maybe you can get away with wearing jeans. I can get away with wearing jeans at camp. It's 90 degrees out, and I'm going to be wearing jeans, speaking in front of a large group with a lot of hot lights on. This is going to be awesome, right? And, and, and that's sarcasm, by the way, in case you didn't catch up on that. Um, it wasn't awesome. Uh, because I wanted to be casual. It's camp, Right? But then, as I got there and spoke, and I saw who I was speaking to, and, and it was a mixture of adults and students, and, and just the atmosphere. And, and it's okay. I can, you know, khaki shorts, whatever. But I, I started to wonder, was like, have I become too casual in worship? Have I become too casual in what I do? Have I become too casual in, in addressing God? Have we become too casual with God, where we don't seem with reverence and awe as we should? Matthew 6, 9 says, hallowed be your name. Remember the, the Lord's prayer? Hallowed be your name, which means holy be your name. Set apart is your name because his name is above all names. So if I were to do this this morning and say, okay, so let's understanding God's name and how powerful it is and the essence and the character of it is, and we should not misuse his name, I would say this. So what should we not do and what should we do? And I don't want to focus on the don't do this. We need to do this, but I will mention a few of the don't do's. Okay, so let's throw some of those out there. First of all, cursing, anger, and frustration, and exclamation, just throwing God's name out there. Don't, okay? I, Exodus 20 makes it pretty clear, okay? So let me, in, in, in a modern day translation, don't. You know, that's just not a good way to use the Lord's name. Another way is to make oaths. In Leviticus 19.12, it says, Do not bring shame on the name of your God, by using it to swear falsely, I am the Lord. See, what would happen would be back in biblical times, I would say, 
I will be here tomorrow to meet you at 1 o'clock. Okay, we're just going to modernize this, okay? And by the name of our Lord, I will show up. I would put the name's Lord in there to show you that I'm speaking with integrity, that I will not break my vow, okay? So I would make an oath. I promise to sell you my plot of land for 10 shekels or whatever, you know, and I swear by the name of the Lord. Now, I've just made an oath using the Lord's name. But what would happen was, was people then would change it. Instead of using the Lord's name and say, I promise you're going to do this, and I swear it in the heavens above. I'd substitute with heavens or temple. Thus, taking the Lord's name out of there, so if I broke my oath, doesn't matter. Because I didn't do the oath in the name of the Lord. So they sort of use it in a very deceiving way. And contracts were supposed to be binding, but I'm going to go ahead and use the Lord's name to bind my contract and that was not a good thing, right? So here's, here's the third thing, and that is this for, for personal gain. We shouldn't use God's name in, in cursing or making oaths, and we shouldn't use God's name for personal gain, meaning like this. And you've seen them before. Somebody's trying to scam you for money. And they're like, hey, you know, um, I I'm, I'm, need some money to raise for this opportunity here, or I'm hurting. And then what do they say after they give it to you? God bless you. And they sounded really spiritual, right? And they're not. They're sca- they could be a scam. And there are some people that are seriously hurting, and they might ask for money and that. But there are so many people out there right now that are scamming, and they will use religion as an opportunity. They'll use God's name as an opportunity to rob people. Be careful of that. We should never use it for personal gain. You'll hear people in leadership. You'll hear politicians. They will say some evil stuff, or they'll say some negative stuff, and they're like, and may God bless you all. The God of this universe that we're talking about, that God, the one that you are adamantly against, God says, don't do that. Don't be using my name like that. If you don't believe in me, you don't worship me, don't use my name like that. We shouldn't use, number four, God's name in everyday irreverent conversation where God is the butt of jokes or just unfair criticism. And I I see all this. When we look at the command number three of ten, we discover this command. This boundary... It is about cursing and misusing God's name, but it's also about living an honest life that reflects our God. Yeah, we shouldn't be using the name of God and misusing, but here's the thing. It is the name of God that we should be in reverence to, that we should be in awe of, that we should worship. I feel, and again, maybe this is why I felt like God compelled me to talk about this this morning. It's because I look at our nation today, I look at our world today, I see a climate of lack of respect. We, we look at our teachers and our coaches, people in our own home with lack of respect. We treat people unfairly and unruly, and, and, and we look at even our, even our government. I don't care whether you're Republican or Democrat, okay? But when we don't treat people with respect, we're acting ungodly. And, and, and it bothers me, because where does that stem from? Do we do the same with God? Do we respect God? You remember as a kid, maybe I grew up in a church like, you don't run in church. You know why? It's God's house. And it's like, so you don't run. You don't play hide and seek, which was a cool game in our church. But you don't do any of that, right? Why? Because that's disrespectful to God's house. Now, maybe we don't talk like that anymore. But do we ever really consider the fact that God is awesome? And do we treat him with awe and reverence? How do we live? Do we, do we just simply guard our mouths? Because that's not always easy, is it? 
Jesus said what comes out of our mouth is a result of what's going on in here. So let's look at a scripture. Matthew chapter 12. Open up your Bibles. First, first book in the New Testament, the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is getting at the, again, the heart of the issue. He always does that. He's like, hey, you know, there's stuff going on around here. Let me help you with this. I'm, I'm a storyteller. I would, I'm not a deep theologian, okay? If you were to compare me uh, to a modern-day um, big-name pastor, John Piper or Max Lucado, I'm definitely a Max Lucado. I'm, I, you know, if you want to go deep, and you know, there's a lot of awesome podcasts out there. I tell things lightly and, and story-like, hopefully to connect. And then I look at Jesus and because he does that, and it helps me so much better understand. So, and I love what Jesus does here. Look at verse 33. He says this, a tree is identified by its fruit. How easy is that, right? Think about it. As you walk outside, oh, that's an apple tree, right? Oh, that's a pear tree. I can tell you by its fruit, right? A tree, if a tree is good, its fruit will be good. Yeah. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. Go on, Jesus. You brood of snakes. How could evil men like you speak what is good and right for whatever is in your heart determines what you say. See, a good per- person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. An evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And I'll tell you this. You must give an account on Judgment Day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either, will either acquit you or condemn you. Jesus, hey, you see that tree out there? If that's a good tree, that means it's from its roots up. It's going good. It's the same with people. What we say is a reflection of the root of what's going on in our heart. If our hearts are bad, the fruit's going to be bad. And instead of saying, oh, we need to you know, not misuse God's name, it's like, I think we need to get back to worshiping God for who he is. When we have that incredible connection with God and understand who God is, and we worship God, I think what's going to come out is going to be pretty awesome. But it's got to start with us having that awesome and awe and respect for God. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Go towards the back of your Bible. You're in the first book of the New Testament. Head towards the back. Get close to Revelation. You'll find 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 13. It's got the red Bible. We've got the page number up there for you. So let's do this. Let's, let's get some direction here. And I think this scripture will give us some direction. Peter says this, so think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed in the world. You must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now, now you must be holy in everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. Verse 17. And remember that the Heavenly Father, to whom you pray, has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverence, fear of him during your time as foreigners in this land. So here's some key things in these verses. Let me just give you three real quick. First one is exercising self-control. God's spirit is in us. If you're having a hard time using your words correctly or worshiping God, ask his spirit to help you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, as we talked about last week, God's spirit has entered into your life and infused you with his presence. God, I'm having a hard time with my mouth. I'm having a hard time seeing you as a holy God. Help me see you, Lord, for who you are. Pray that. Honor your God, honor your Heavenly Father by the way we then live, exercising that self-control. Here's another thing. Be holy in everything. You know what that means? It means be different. 
Students, you are not going to be like the rest of the students at your school because you're going to live differently than them. Well, everybody else is doing this. You're probably not because of your faith. That's all right. That's called being holy. Well, I don't want to be holy. God's called us all to be holy. We're being obedient when we're holy. And the other thing is live in reverent fear. Not the fear of a ruthless master or, or, or being punished, but it's a healthy all respect of a heavenly father. It's not a casual approach to God. As much as I love being casual, it's like, you know what? It's time to, it's time to not be casual in this and really be in awe and respect of God. It's a good thing. I know we want to be casual, but sometimes I think we become too casual in approaching God. Um, Dan, can you put up the first, we did three songs of worship, and I'm going to ask the worship team to change it up for me on the last song. The very first song we did, can you put the lyrics up on the screen for us, please? What was the first, first song of those three set? Yeah, we stand and lift up our hands for the joy of the Lord. Now, as we're singing this song, it isn't, we sit in our chairs and we yawn, right? It isn't, I hold my cup and I'm wishing I was drinking it more than the singing, right? Go to the next song, or next one, please. We bow down and worship him now, how great and how awesome he is. Again, it isn't, I'm just going to stand there with my arms folded and just, yeah, he's a pretty cool God and I had to come to church today because my wife made me, okay? When we sang this song... How casual were we when we sang that song? I'm not calling you out. I'm calling myself out. Because there's times I'm just singing. I just catch myself like, oh, I was just standing there. My, my lips were moving. And I really don't know if there was a connection with my heart, my lips right now. And every now and then I got to pause and think, how awesome is God? In case you forgot, let me, let me read verses 18 and 20. And just listen. You don't have to follow along. If you want to follow along, you can. But listen to this. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not gold nor mere mere silver. It was the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose Jesus as our ransom long before the world began. And now he's revealed him to you in these last days. Through Jesus Christ, we have come to trust in God. And we've placed our faith and hope in God because he raised Jesus Christ from the dead and he gave him great glory. We had a price that was paid for us. A ransom. See, we live, at least we should live in a way that says, thank you, God. We live in a way that says, God, I owe you everything. I'm in debt to you. We live in a way that says, I'm going to honor somebody who's greater than me. So how are we using the name of God? How are we worshiping God? Do you see him as awesome and respectful? I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And I, I want this to be our closing song, if possible, so as we sing. And again, not, not to harp on anybody in your style of worship. You worship any way you want, but I'm going to say this. As you worship, let your Lips and your heart connect on this one. How awesome is God? You know, I found this website and it said there's a, there's a perfect, and I'm going to read this to you. There is a perfect way to find the name for your baby. It goes on to say, find the perfect baby boy name or girl name. 
our baby name finder has more than 100,000 names to choose from. So you can sort through popular names and unique names to find a baby name you love. I'm like, oh, this is a pretty cool website, right? So I, I type in Rex. Hit click, and it tells me the origin of the name, the meaning, which I already knew. Okay, because when I was younger, it's like, figure that one out, right? But here's the cool thing about this website. It now tells me, like, if I'm going to have siblings, these would be great names for siblings for Rex. My siblings are Mark, Terry, Steve, David, and Diana. Okay, those are my siblings, okay? But according to this website, it would have been better if they would have been Max, Cooper, Gavin, Jack, Levi, Axel, Cole, or Miles. Miles, where you at? Oh, Miles, hey. Hey, and actually, in all reality, before I was born, it was a toss-up. Rex or Miles? They gave me Rex, right? That way, there wouldn't be two Miles in this church. That'd be really weird. So we could go real far with that name. That was one of the worst jokes ever, I know. But it, and that just took us totally out of the awe and reverence of God where we were going. Now, yes. But anyway, here's the thing. See, I could use books and computers and all those kind of things to find the perfect name. Right? And we can talk to friends and talk about the perfect name. The names that are special. It's like, that's such a special name. And you meet somebody for the first time and everybody tries to be unique in their name and maybe change up a letter here or there to have this unique name. And I'm going to find it right. But here's the thing. There's only one name that we're to worship. That's God. We're not supposed to misuse his name. We're not to have any other gods that we worship. Just, just one. God's name is special. And we as Christians, we reflect his name. We're little little Christians. We're little Christs. And we reflect a holy God. God reminds us he's God. He's the only God. He deserves all the worship. And his name is what we're supposed to worship. And we need to reflect that in how we worship. So as we worship this morning... And we worship in song and prayer and scripture. We're going to worship in song one more time. And as we sing, ask God just to speak to your heart. You know, God, you're a holy God. Well, what does that mean? Ask him to reveal himself in a way you've never seen him before. And then just sing to him. This is to God. This isn't to us. This isn't to the band. This is a time of worship to God. Would you stand, please? And I'll pray and we'll sing. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. God, I feel as Christians, sometimes we maybe get a little too relaxed and casual in how we live. And God, you've given us direction. You've given us boundaries that are life-giving. And one of those boundaries is a reminder that you're the only God and we're not to worship other gods, but that we're to use your name correctly too. So God, as people look at us, People see our actions. I pray they'll know that we are Christians. That we love you. By the way we use your name in honor and all and respect, people will know who you are. God, your name is amazing. So God, as we sing to you, we want to lift up your name and your name alone. We want to worship you with all we have. We love you, Lord. In my name we pray, amen.